everybody. Welcome to Two Beats Off Podcast. Uh, I got Steven and Brandon here. Say hey, guys. Hey, what up? Hey, guys. All right. So, uh, Brandon, you were saying this week's homework was the, the new three-song Alkaline Trio EP. Okay, so I put a lot of thought into it, and I really listened to the songs over and over <laughs> again so I could know what I thought about these songs. And let me tell you, it's true to form, classic Alkaline Trio garbage so, so, so let me hold on hold on, hold on. let me ask, i got a couple questions to, Stephen can answer these after no i'm not i'm not taking any questions right now you're closed off to any, any discussion um were you ever an alkaline trio fan yeah I uh, I liked Alkaline Trio when I was like 14. And how old are you now? That's like 30 something. It's not. That's not a criticism. <laughs> the age thing is not a criticism. Uh, it's like it's just not. It's not interesting to me. It's that's the same shit over and over and over again, and that's cool. There are some bands that I like that do that. Alkaline Trio is not one of them. Yeah, um, I'll say I, yeah, I really like a lot of Alkaline Trio records. I think the last one I liked though came out in the early two thousands. Yeah, now, what was it? What Crimson? Crimson was a cool record when I was like I was, in a yeah, senior in high school. That was about yeah. I fell off a little bit after that, and I, I it, yeah, they a lot of bands get shit for changing what they do, and. They didn't really do that. I mean, they kind of did on Crimson, then they went back to it a little bit. I, yeah, I think it's, there's... It, it's just, to me, I'm sorry, Justin. No, you're good. But it's it's just, it's too much of the same thing over and over again. And also, fucking Skiba's shit is like spilling over into Blink-182. Yeah. Like, right. It's like, I saw them live at Hershey last, last summer... And the songs that Skiba was like singing on, it's like, it's just a Blink-182 Alkaline, Alkaline Trio cover band. Like, it, it's just, it was, it gets old after a while. So I think, as a fairly big Alkaline Trio fan, I think that the career has two halves, and Crimson is the, the fulcrum in the middle of that, like the tipping point into yeah. Yeah. like all the woes and the really produced stuff. And I was going to ask you guys, do you think, well, I guess if you haven't listened to any of the later stuff, I was going to ask if you thought Blink-182 was affecting the way Matt did Alkaline Trio or vice versa at all. Because this EP and the last full length, which I actually thought some of it was quite good, were post him joining Blink-182. There's like a gap with no new Alkaline Trio material and then an album and this EP now. The, uh, the, the uh, uh, autotune part, it was reminiscent of something someone who got to join Blink 182 would do in their band. Feels like someone got <laughs> feels like someone got mixed by Andy Wallace once and was like, "Oh, I should do this." Yeah. Um, I didn't think it was bad though for a band that's been around that long to not really complete and utter shit. Like, props to them, I guess. <laughs> my, my I, I, of- I can't I can't look at you seriously right now. Why? Because you're talking, and I'm looking at you, and I just see dicks. 
That's rude. <laughs> I would never call you a dick. <laughs> my, my, my opinion of this release was similar to the last handful of Alkaline True ones where I like Dan's songs, but Matt's are kind of hit or miss. Yeah, I like Dan, uh, Dan's song. I don't like the acoustic one, but I like his other song better. The acoustic one just sounds like Dan's solo record. Right, which is... We talked about solo records last time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. Brandon, what's uh, what's the latest with the Community Club? How's that going? It's going is fine. There any, is there anything new as from last time you talked to us as far as like reopening dates or anything like that? No, we're like losing more dates. Yeah. Yeah, it's a mess. Yeah, it's just like it's you you reschedule stuff from you know March shows that we lost to June thinking like oh June's like three months away like we'll be good and now we're rescheduling the same dates till like October or December and stuff like that and, you know I'm all rescheduled again uh yeah they're gonna reschedule again which sucks to yeah. December Ooh. right yeah that's probably playing it safe, though, rather than reschedule a uh, third time. Has it been? No, wait. Okay, this is this would be the. Well, no, this would be the yeah second. This time. will be the third time, yeah. Yeah. No, second I, time. You're right. I what, math. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it doesn't matter. But yeah, it's 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 like. I honestly don't think that we're gonna have shows for the rest of the year. So you don't think the fest is going to happen? I don't think the fest is going to happen. I think and even wish, if, even, the fest, even if the fest happens, I don't think anyone's going to want to go. Uh, if everyone has that opinion, and I can be the only one watching Hot Water Music play Flight in a Crash, I'll go. Would you, though? I would go. Yeah. Doing the would you go to stuff. fest? Okay, say say, like, the FDA, or not the FDA, the CDC says we can go back to normal in September. Okay. And, and Fest is in October. Would you go down to Fest? Yeah. Would you? Probably. I'm Probably. kind of yeah. Athena, though. It's been, like, years for me, and now I, like, I feel like my kids are old enough that I can go, so, like, I'm really kind of set on it unless it gets canceled. How long has it been since you've been to Fest? Uh, when Reservoir played. So, four that years? Fest, that was Fest 14. I don't know. In 2000, yeah, it was in 2015. It was Fest 14. Five years. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I really want to go, and I think it's a good lineup. Okay. Yeah. Was that the same time you were at, Justin? Last time no, we, um, we skipped last year, but we went the year before. Uh, okay. Yeah, and I uh, we got really wild. What I'm assuming is food poisoning. Once we got home, and I had to take like three days off of work from being home. <laughs> that's what that's what I got that one time that I went. You guys. Oh yeah, yeah. that was bad. Remember that? You ate like a street. It was you like that. Like a what, street taco food? in Jacksonville, right? Yeah, in Jacksonville, I had this taco, and I just got like fucking violently ill. Yeah, for like days. We didn't see days. it literally for days. <laughs> yeah, no, I left. I like my mom picked me up. Yeah. 
and then she took me back to my sister's in Georgia, and that's where I think I saw you guys next. Yeah, because yeah. I think you were in the registration line with us for about five minutes, and you're like, I can't do this. And you left, and we didn't see you again all weekend. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, and I think we picked you up outside Swayze's in Marietta. I love Swayze's. Great venue. <laughs> that was a cool. <laughs> it was all right. I can't tell if you're being serious or sarcastic. I can't tell. I'm being sarcastic. Um, I don't know if you, maybe you played there with placeholder and had a great, great show. No, I don't think so. I I was there before, but I don't think I had a good time. Um, okay. There sold a really good can of Chef Boyardee to me. <laughs> but yeah, I I don't know. Fast like I want it to happen because there actually is some like small bands that I would like to see. Um, I'm not like really like stoked about like their bigger bands that they have, but um, I just don't know. I don't know if it's gonna happen. I don't know you're if it's see- gonna either. You're, you're seeing September and October festivals cancel and postpone, and they're kind of trying to go full steam ahead. I just don't. I don't see it happening. But that's why I was curious to have you on and ask you because obviously we don't get emails from booking agents with rescheduling dates and stuff so yeah i don't have that i don't have that perspective so now that you answered that we're gonna let you go and justin what do you want to talk about <laughs> no keep on i have more quit i actually right, had yeah. some... <laughs> thanks for having me on the show <laughs> last time we had brand i think we just talked about shit in our pants so i wanted to ask him real questions about music for a little yeah um, for sure how we Reservoir never played Great Scott. Did you play Great Scott? I played Great Scott, yeah. It was cool. You guys never played Great Scott? Nope. We never Which played one? any we never played anywhere cool, if I'm being honest. What yeah we did. Well no, not like Trent not not like the cool venues. Like we thought they were cool, but like yeah. not cool guy venues. We Where'd always play, play well play? O'Brien O'Brien's in Austin. Oh O'Brien's is cool. If we O'Brien's that last place yeah. we played with Life and Limb was awesome. Life upstairs what was it? didn't did we play a place or courage club oh charlie's 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 kitchen, kitchen. yeah that, place that was cool. really cool i don't think we played there together but i think i played there as well yeah that was we did that on the uh boners tour yeah on the where my bones rest easy tour yeah yeah great scott we played um it was a i think it was the tour that placeholder did with such gold and it was it it reminded me of like lizard lounge like that kind of vibe yeah but whenever you whenever you hit like those kind of venues in different towns like i i feel like i I don't know what i'm trying to say but you know kind of where i'm going with like it's cool to play the dive bar that has real musicians working at it or like hanging right. out there. Yeah. Like, no, that makes sense. You could play any shitty fucking club or shitty fucking room and it just sucks. But like you hit some shithole, but it's where all the fucking musicians hang out or maybe a couple of musicians are doing sound. Like they know what they're doing. So it's, it's a, it's a cool place to play. That's kind of what I feel about, great scott it was for that community the indie diy rockers they lived there so 
whenever you would come through there, you would be with like-minded people who are like, yeah, cool. Like, we'll, we'll make this set sound good. Or like, we'll like make sure this show is cool. Like, so it was, well, they're like, they're trying to save it. Aren't they? I guess I, I saw like a post yesterday that it was closing and then someone a literally, literally, literally within minutes, I got like a petition to like save it. Well, I, I when, no I, idea. when I first saw it, it was kind of framed as, Hey, it's closing because coronavirus. And then yeah. the next couple of posts were like, Oh, it's closing because the landlord's not renewing the lease. That's yeah. what I saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wasn't sure what exactly the circumstances. Which were. it was, I like read like the the petition. And it was like the oh the the landowner wants to cancel the lease because it said a concert venue can't be profitable during this time. And I was like, that sucks. But also, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> like it is. It's true. It's true. Also, I mean. I don't want my concert venue to close. I will fucking fight tooth and nail for it. But also, yeah, it's not going to be profitable. Well, well that's like, that's kind of expected with yeah. everything right now, isn't it? Like, do you, what, would, would, you, ex- would you expect, there? like, short of, like, kicking out human beings living in a place, like, which I wouldn't condone, obviously. But, like, if a business is, like, just, like, sitting there... I don't know. Do do you kick them out? What's what's the protocol on that? It's it's weird circumstances, so the optics look bad. Yeah. It looks you know, terrible. Yeah. Yeah, it looks really bad. Um, but like, so this is segueing into something I wanted to ask you about, Brandon, because Lois and I were talking about it. Um, obviously, venues are losing money, like just hemorrhaging money, and yeah. bands also also aren't making money. So when this starts again and everyone's trying to like claw their way back up, who is going to give on price? Like are bands still going to expect the same guarantees? Are you guys going to be offering less money or expecting more for tickets or like where does that weird bulge kind of like break? Well, what what we've been what we've been thinking was I don't. I personally don't think that customers will want to spend twenty five dollars to see a band. Right. Like, after all this is said and done, like, had it been like March until April, and we get back to normal, everything I think would have been fine. But who knows mm-hmm. when we're actually going to get back to quote unquote normal if we ever do get back to that. But I think like, you know, where we're charging twenty five dollars for let's say for the sake of saying it trapped right. no one's paying no one's paying that money to see these radio rock bands no one's right. paying that money to see country rock bands no one's paying that to see piebald no one, like i just don't think people are going to pay 20 25 dollars for shows i think they're going to want to like take it easy they'll go to cheap shows they won't go to like crowded busy fucking sold out shows and so what what has been happening, at least in my experience, is the actual if like a venue can like survive this mess, which it will be very few and far between, it's kind of a it's kind of a buyer's market because the bands are just gonna be like, Yeah, we'll play here. Okay. What, what can what can we get? Well, we'll do a door deal. 
because we don't know what it's going to be like. So that's kind of been like the, not the good thing. I don't want to say the good thing, but that's what's happening right now. A lot of bands are saying, hey, we'll play in the fall. We'll do a door deal. We'll take take 70% of the door. That's it. Because the more I think about it, the more I'm like, like that small room rock music is what's going to take the big hit. Like there will always be basement shows for $5 in Philadelphia True. or Boston or whatever. And arena rock shows have a cachet among a certain group of people. So I feel like small room well, rock music What I think will happen is I think the arenas and the high capacity rooms yeah. will not get utilized for at least a year. Like, yeah. I mean, think about it. If if you and Lois wanted to go to a concert and it was, you were told, okay, listen, you can go to whatever. Would you go to a 5,000 cap room show or would you go to a 100 cap room? Probably you'd 100. Probably, you'd, you'd probably be like, let's let's go to like the smaller show and not be around, you know, 5,000 people. And I right. think that's, I think that's a realistic thing. It's like, I think a lot of those like big productions are going to get next. I think the, yeah. the difference, though, is the people in charge of decisions for 100 cap rooms versus arenas look at it differently because there's, I mean, they're already talking about starting sports again. So if you think, most of those places are the same arenas that bands come through. Like, they're trying to bring back the hockey season in June. So those places are going to be in use for sporting events whether there's fans or not but they're going to have to have the places ready and those people want to make money because they're all billionaires so i see them risking it and upcharging everything as well to try and get people and make money yeah maybe i think with the thing with like sports like hockey basketball etc etc like they can not make a lot of money the way that they're used to, but they can do their thing and, you know, stream it and put it on NBC, put it on HBO. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. Where, where, where a concert is a concert, it's a one night only thing with like NHL. You could be like, okay, we don't need the actual fans here. We can put it on, you know, pay TV and then they can buy it from us. Right. Yeah. Right. That's so, kind of- I mean, they're looking at like. One... I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna do that ASAP. I think as soon as they're set, as soon as like those dudes that actually own the stadiums, and own those teams are like, hey, we can have these players play, and we'll put it on TV. I think they'll do that. I mean, right away. I think they'll probably do it probably in June. Yeah, they're talking about like one place in each division. Each division being like a home arena for the entire division and only playing it. Yeah. There. So, but it's going to happen soon. I just think if they start doing that over the summer by fall, they're going to start trying to make more money out of their space. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I don't trust billionaires to make rational decisions as much as I do uh, places like um, chameleon or. Well, I mean uh, the good, the good thing about like anyone that owns a venue Anyone that owns a, a business in entertainment and hospitality, they might not be like clear conscience, but 
if enough customers complain, they like do the right thing. Yeah. Like that's right. that's kind of been my experience in this whole business is if you complain enough about certain circumstances, they get rectified pretty quickly because you're desperate to please every single customer. Yeah, public perception and, is everything. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon, but I think no matter when you open the community club, someone will write you an email about it, whether you oh. did it too early oh, yeah. or too late. Dude, I, I, still, I, I still get emails now saying that we're pussies for closing. Oh, my who, God. Who, and it's who, does, like, who takes it's the time like, to do it's, that? It's like illegal to be open. And it'll, it'll, it'll just be like, seriously, like as of like yesterday, I got an email saying, what's going on this weekend? And you you have to respond to them and say, Hey, we're closed. And like, Oh really? I thought you would have like stayed open and like (laughs) revolted against the system. It's like, why did you think that? (laughs) Cause the chameleon club is such an anti-establishment venue with its Miller high life. (laughs) Right. Like, now, do you guys think I'm, – I've been curious about this on my own. Do you think there's a per, – like, you know the story about the uh, Japanese infantrymen on an island after World War II who still thought the war was going on 14 years yeah. later? Do you think there's someone who has no TV and no contact with people who has no idea that this is happening? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's got to be. Here. There's got to be, right? Do you think those yeah. people are e- – well, those people probably wouldn't have a computer to email the community no, club as to what's going on. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, do you think those people are emo kids? <laughs> totally no. emo kids. Well, almost, almost certainly. It's, it's, all, it's, it's all of the top shelf records employees. Clacking <laughs> <laughs> away on their typewriter. Well, what do they do now that the emo revival's over? Oh, they they're put just, out like they're just waiting. They're waiting for the revival. The, the re-revival. They signed a bunch of like a bunch of indie bands, right? Wait, is that I mean, still a label? Top Shelf is still a label, and I think after the indie bubble thing, like I don't want to tell tales out of school. I I didn't research it, but I thought they signed a bunch of festival indie style bands to kind of keep that thing going. Oh, that's kind of cool. I just haven't heard anything from them. Oh, yeah, it's like not, even it's not even like this. Even the small bands that like come through, like the Lizard Lounge, like I still, I still see some like No Sleep Records bands and Run for Cover bands, but I'd like never see Top Shelf Records on like people's guitars or you know what I mean? Like, right? It doesn't seem like it's like it's popular amongst people. No Sleep still has a decent amount of cachet, I think. Yeah. Um, Run for cover, I think, is probably the most relevant still. Yeah, because I, I mean, if I had, had to guess. Yeah, because they actually put out like real fucking bands that went on and sold, you know, physical records. Right. Um, and, they, and they're still signing new bands that do pretty decent. Yeah, for sure. Who knows? I mean, I guess props to Top Shelf for signing something. Because they, really they're not they're not based out of new england anymore right they're like california you know, i think yeah i think kevin lives in la maybe yeah there you go uh, that's that's yeah, why he's so out of no. touch so out of touch, with, <laughs> but, so out of touch with the common common worker 
<laughs> Kevin, you're welcome to come on and defend yourself. Uh, but uh, it's wild to think now in hindsight, when Reservoir started, there were a handful of labels that were like on my vision board for lack of a better term. Like, they oh, were the yeah, one- no, I totally know what you mean. And now, like, to look back and on th- things that held relevancy, and it's pretty interesting. I, I kind of, this is going to sound stupid, and I apologize for it, but, like, I used to, I used to think the same thing, like, oh, man, I want to, like, get on Top Shelf or No Sleep, and, like, these are, like, big labels, and I'm not gloating at all, but, like, mm-hmm. I look at myself now, I'm just, like, I have more money than all those people. Right. Like not it's, not I'm not like I'm rich, but like I'm just saying like they were just like me when I was fucking 25 years old, broke dudes putting out shitty records for shitty bands. Right. And struggling. Not, but I never I never saw it that way. I just saw like, oh, these are cool oh, no. makers. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like I never I never I never saw those guys that headed those labels like me and i think that that was a huge problem like oh, me too me too i didn't see them as peers i saw them as like people you'd... yeah exactly yeah. gatekeepers is the word for sure and they, they they like and no fault to them i mean i'm not criticizing them i i just i put that in my head of like oh these are guys that know good music and they have the money to like put out these fucking fantastic records. And then until I did it myself, and even after I did it myself, I didn't understand like, oh, they're just losers like I am. Right. That just like but, this, like this very small sect of music. <laughs> the, the, the cachet that came along with it was throughout the country, there are maybe, say, a thousand people that would listen to every single thing top shelf did with no like yeah. no discrimination so Absolutely. that was like the cachet of it is like you we saw him as tastemakers so did other people and trusted their judgment and if something came out on something it was immediately palated to that group of people yeah for sure and i mean that's been every generate that it, it's just smaller sub pop if you think yeah. of that so it's just interesting in hindsight to look at things that were so transitory and temporary and how I thought about them as the end all be all of the success yeah. of my, Can, my band. I, I have I have thought about that a lot recently, like, you know, writing some songs and I'm talking to like, you know, former, you know, well not former people in my band, past yeah. bands. And you know, we're just shooting the shit and we're talking about like labels that we wanted to sign to or labels that we did sign to. And it's all like it seems kind of childish now because yeah. it was and it is, but I remember being like in it and being super competitive and like not really like in the spirit of writing good music, just trying to like be successful, but really right. be su- but be successful in such a small insignificant way that I didn't understand <laughs> Uh, (laughs) i thought it it was so big i thought if we would sign to like top shelf or no sleep or run for cover that we would be like these big bands and Uh, like yeah it's it's almost i I can't 
it's almost embarrassing, like thinking back on it and be like, "Oh my God, you're an idiot." <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's embarrassing, but it's like a thing to be self-aware about, and it's fun looking at a chunk of your life that way. Because yeah, I, we did this. Reservoir Reservoir did chunk. the exact same thing. Oh yeah, that was eight years big of my chunk. life trying to yeah. trying to tour with the right bands or be on the right label because then someone would notice instead of just outlasting everyone like we should have. Yeah. Because all of those bands we played with and thought were so cool are broken up and gone. Yeah, and gone. All, like, pretty much every single one. And if they're not, they're the world is and they're touring with me without you only. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do they tour with me without you? Yeah. I think they were uh, maybe like two or three times. That's anyway, kind of cool. Yeah. It's it cool, but they're, I feel like they transcended the level of where yeah. we, we were at. And um, now, if you were to start a band in 2020, is the record label an irrelevant thing? I, 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 I think so. So what I would do, if I were to start a band now, which I may, and that <laughs> might happen, I would bankroll it myself. Right. Like, because, like, we're talking about, I look back on all that stuff. I'm not going to say that I'm, like, embarrassed or ashamed of it, but I, like, I hate that I let other people dictate what I could do right. with music. And not like they told me what I could write, because that doesn't happen in this realm, but I thought... You know, okay, cool. If someone with two thousand dollars wants to like put my record out, I thought they were rich, but that's yeah. not. I mean, that's not <laughs> how that. That's not how that works. But I didn't understand yeah. that because I only had you know fifty bucks. I was living you know in my van. I yeah. was poor. I just wanted someone to like care about my music, and I wanted like anyone that would say, "Hey, I like this. I want to put some money into it." I thought that they were fucking awesome right i'm not saying i'm not i'm not like shitting on that now but i wouldn't let people have so much control just because they like what i'm doing yeah well if, my new, in my new life if you will well a lot a lot of record labels have obviously changed their terms and things going into digital shit because if you pay for the recording you own that license for like the digital for sure. Masters. And I feel like owning your digital masters in 2020 is like one of the most important things you can do. As totally. I also, so, I also think like, so I honestly don't even know what deal I signed with on no sleep records. Like I don't, I don't actually don't even know. I have no idea what happened with that. The only thing I know with record labels, like when placeholder did something with black numbers, I know that it like, maybe kind of got close to break even but i was like you know dave is like a good friend of mine and i felt guilty that i couldn't like be popular oh like, for sure I, I don't know if that like makes sense but like i still like i still talk to him about that i'm just like sorry like that we sucked <laughs> like i wish we could have made I, you money I wish that I liked Andrew enough to feel that way about Glory Kid. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm not cutting that. No, please cut it. I bet he listens to it. But um, yeah, fuck no, he doesn't. I deleted I, him off social media. 
Because I understand, Brandon, what you're saying about like, oh, if someone's your buddy, you want to do right by them and you don't want to yeah, lose money totally. for them because they believed in you. Just like you some... guys when I put out your record, right? <laughs> right. Hey, if you want to. <laughs> I, I, still... I, I, can mail, I can mail them back. <laughs> I, just, you... I just saw you roll your eyes, Steven, you son of a bitch. <laughs> no, I didn't. It, it was supposed to be like a side eye, like an intentional side eye. <laughs> I. I can turn my chair and see your stock of the records, Brand. If you want, want to pay shipping, you can have them back. <laughs> it's okay. I was I was happy to get you guys that that gift. Thank you. You know, Appreciate I actually hate that record so much. So I don't. Like I like that record a lot, and I say that a lot. I like, like I've I've talked to people who, you know. They'll come into my office and they'll say, oh, you were in like a, a, a DIY band because they'll know like that little about me. And talk about, oh, I want to like start my own label or my buddy has like a label, like blah, blah, blah. They ask for advice. And I mean, that putting out that record is not like a regretful thing. I loved the songs. Obviously loved the band. Thanks, that's, that's what being in this business is. Like yeah. you, you fucking find something you like to do. It's the same way being in a band. Right. You don't, you don't know what's going to happen when you go out and tour. You don't know what's going to happen when you go and record that record. You fucking do something because you like have a passion for it. And then you put it out there. Like it's not a big deal. So I, 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 I misspoke when I said, I hate that record. Cause I like the songs. I hate the recording. So where'd you record it at? With uh, Steve Roche at permanent hearing damage. In Philadelphia? We, we went from, we didn't like how produced it sounded with Corey, so we went the complete opposite to the least produced, most raw we possibly could. But my drum sounds so fucking bad on that. <laughs> and, and like, it's just, it's a terrible sounding record. And if we had recorded that record with like Jay Robbins or Ryan Stack or even Corey, I think we would have done better with that record i thought those songs were fantastic i mean they're they're great songs like live i like the songs, like the songs live you know yeah. I like but listening to it i just like there's some really cringy fucking parts on it there's, there's so many we thought all three of us had to sing at all times on every song and those I, songs I, I gather don't that. Breathe, <laughs> the, those songs don't breathe like i i was gonna talk over steven and say that like because him and or Andy or even Josh will pick records and say that they don't like them for this reason or whatever. And I try to like, obviously, I wrote them, so it's hard to distance yourself from it in that way. But it's like I have some really shitty tattoos and I'm never never going to cover them because yeah. they're representative of where I was at the time oh, in totally. that moment. So I can hear I heard you as I walked away and hear well, that I, I, and hear that I, think, I loved I off minor. So. Some of my favorite Reservoir moments with all you guys singing is you could see Josh be like, this is bad, and he would just, like, give up. I, re <laughs> I remember just, like, watching, like, Josh sing, yeah. and then he would, like, shake his head, and he'd step away. <laughs> <laughs> even, so even the most, even the most recent... Um, show that we played with you at the at the lizard lounge lois was like oh it sounded really good i could hear your vocals but not josh's because josh's volume of singing is 
in hand. And yeah. he sound checks that way. And then they're like, all right, stage right, mic check. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> and like, <laughs> so they're always so like variant. If we had been Fugazi and had our own sound guy that knew what was going to come out when we started every night, I think that would have helped a lot too. Let me just well, say, you, if you, you guys, guys weren't some in-ears. If you guys weren't so like fucking nice, like annoyingly nice to the point where you, when you wrote songs and Josh did the same thing and Andy did the same thing, you would give all the parts to everyone else of your own songs you fucking wrote, which is weird to me. It's really so weird. Like, all of Justin's songs, Justin would be like, okay, Josh, I want you to sing all of the verse and Andy, I want you to sing the chorus. Then Josh would write the lyrics and be like, okay, just you're singing all the verse. And it's like, that's so, what I'm saying, because you had you guys felt like you had to be nice. I don't know why you guys are nice to each other. So, so I can I can explain my reasoning for all that, uh, at least on my end. I don't know about the other guys. So when I came into Reservoir, you guys already existed and had written two songs, and they were yeah. both and they were both singing. And I didn't want to overexert myself as like because I wanted to sing very badly. Yeah. In that in that band, and I came into it, and Andy was like here's a part. And in that song, everyone else sang. And I was like, all right, I guess everything has to be equal and diplomatic in this thing. Because <laughs> I was, well, no, that, and I was also coming out of a band where I was told constantly that every single thing I did was wrong, no matter uh, what. Yeah. Yeah, so right. I was, I was like in a weird place where I was like, Oh no, I don't want to like speed this up by accident or like step on anyone's toes by singing my own lyrics. <laughs> and right. and it was also easy for me to all the demo and in the endings, all those songs are about Dan. And it was easier to hide them if Josh sang it. <laughs> True. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I uh there there's a funny Dan thing, but I was I was looking through my like my record collection and I have like every, you know, variant of every placeholder and spill record, right. blah, 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 because you know, that's what happens. Right. And I don't have our first record that we released because we did it on a CD. I have the CD, right. but I don't have the record that, that Dan put out. And I, I hit up Marco and I was like, Hey, like, do you have nothing is pure vinyl? like at all and he was like i have one copy and i was like do you know anyone anyone that has like maybe one that they want to get rid of that i could have he's like no just hit up dan anderson i was like no that would like <laughs> i would have to talk to him to do that <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to do that i don't know if it's dan or fucking whatever the other fucking nerd that did that label was like his name i know his name i'm not gonna say it because i fucking don't care about that dude um, I don't remember. I don't remember who did it with him, but it doesn't Ruben. matter. Ruben. Oh, did oh? I said did you it do now. the label you too? You made me say it's it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to make you say. It. I didn't. I knew you he made did those fests with Dan. I know he anyway. did the fests with Dan. I didn't know he did the label. But anyway, I have I have nothing against either of them, but I don't want to talk to them, and I don't want to ask them for my fucking record. <laughs> hey, you remember I mean, that thing that you remember that thing you put out that like we didn't make any money? Can I get one? I'll ask he, him for you. He recently. You. uh he recently made an Instagram sure. post that he found a bunch of records in his basement and they're they're cheap now and he's gonna donate all the money. So maybe yours is in there. You could ask him. Yeah. It's just all placeholder <laughs> records. 
if you really want <laughs> one, you can speaker. have my copy, Brandon, because I totally have a copy of it. No, I, I don't. I don't really need it. It's not that big of a deal. I was just asking. It's whatever. It's not a big deal. I recently, um, you know, that you, our, our end-to-ending ending seven inch. I got yeah. another copy of that last week because uh, my grandma had a stack next to her record player of everything I've ever put out. Oh, nice. And and now both my grandparents passed away, so I got the entire stack back. There you go. So it's kind of a weird thing. But I remember every time I look at that record. Well, that's, I, that's, what I, that's what I call an investment. That's uh, true, yeah. That's good investment. <laughs> every, every time I look at that look at that record, I remember, Brandon, was it you that said that Rev wanted like more of those? You tried to sell... I heard uh, you to to Rev HQ, and they they were like, "Oh, what we really want is in the ending seven inch." Yeah, yeah. Oh, and that was it. Yeah, and that and then I think about how Colby has a box of about fifty of them in some basement somewhere, <laughs> but he dropped yeah. off the face of the earth. Yeah, what happened to that guy? He'll I can I can get a hold of him. I he'll text me like once every eight months. It's weird, but I never you know pushed ask because I know I won't ever physically see him. So it's not, you know, worth it. All right. Without further ado, let's go to the interview with Tanner Jones from You Blew It. All right. So uh, Two Beats Off Podcast is here with Tanner Jones, the Twinkle Grandpa himself. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) That's that's rich. (laughs) What did, uh, Stephen, what did you call Keith Layton in the Midwest Monsoon? Yeah. He's like, I've never heard that at all. I'm a fan of alliterations. That's, and that's a good one. Monsoon, yeah. I think anytime you can fit that into anything is a good thing. It's badass. Yeah. The, Mid- the Midwest doesn't have them by virtue of not having a... <laughs> true, that's true. That's, that also makes it a little better. Obviously, we have you here because of you blew it, but just uh-huh. because, I don't know, we're buds. So we like to start and uh, dig back. What was your first musical memory? Oh, oh my God. Uh, my first musical memory is, and this is one of those things that I can't really tell if it's just stitched together via, you know, just remembering over and over again, you start to doctor things and it it turns into something else. I can't tell if it's actual organic memory or just that. I remember watching a music video for, I think the traveling Wilburys. Okay. uh, When I was, had to have been like three or four on MTV and really enjoying it. It was my first foray. My I should also say this is qualified by my parents saying that was my um, the song. I can't remember the title now, but the song for the music video that I was watching was my favorite, um, my first favorite song. Did you grow up in a musical household? No, my mom can't sing a lick of lick of anything <laughs> by her own admission. I think she can more than she lets on. But no, my dad is just a really hardworking uh, contractor. My mom is a really hardworking kind of financier, kind of takes care of numbers type of person. Oh, okay. But no, I didn't grow up in a musical household. They like music, but they didn't, they don't, and still don't play. What led you to pick up guitar then? Was that your first instrument? Mm-hmm. Well, bass was my first instrument, but okay. I think that was just by virtue of, I was always happy to take the back seat to things. Not that bass is taking the back seat, but in middle school when guys are like, do you want to start a band? Taking, playing bass is the back seat in a middle school band sometimes. 
Um, I, I, li- I like that you say that and you ended up singing and playing guitar. Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> a couple of folks yeah, have said totally. that, like, started out drummers and ended up singers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. It, well, I think if I can go on a tangent, I think please. that kids that are um, more inclined to take the backseat for the love of the craft at an early age are, are a little more inclined to do the work. And I think that if you do the work at a young age, then you start to, you get the chops, you know? Yeah. If you uh, already are in the groove of like being in a band, not being any kind of center of attention, then you can easily do the other yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly. And I like to think that's true. I kind of like to think that of myself, but who knows if it's, if that's an actuality or if I was always like craving yeah. for the well, middle microphone, you know? I think it's kind of what you said is like you cared enough about it to stick with it no matter where you were in and then just landed playing yeah, guitar I, singing, I guess. Well, well i wonder if that is true for you too like what did you start out with uh saxophone really okay yeah so, but uh uh then guitar soon after that well i think that's kind of a in my experience that's always been a a through line like uh it's been a commonality between most not just successful musicians but musicians that stick with it seem right. to be the guys that in middle in high school are more inclined to do the hard work. We were going to do it no matter what. Yeah. Build the fundamentals and, and chase after it that way. When did it switch to guitar then? Uh, I, I think it was kind of simultaneous. I started playing bass out of necessity to be in a band. Okay. Uh, and then in the background at home at, around the same time, I started playing guitar. I guess you could say I learned to play guitar first because I still don't know how to play bass. To yeah. me in my head, it's still like root note on the bass drum. Um, which uh, it's much more than that, and I don't know how to do that. So many guitar players think that because they can play guitar, they can also play bass, but it's a completely different thing. Yeah, it's a totally to, different beast. Yeah, to know how to do it successfully and just sit back and know when to flash, I guess. Totally well, I, sh- I want to ask you this. This I'm in a, a group chat that is called Which One. It's really just you pick two things. None of them saying this. I'm not sure if I talked about this in that group chat. But anyway, there was a conversation I had recently where um, someone mentioned that the most intelligent person in the band would be the bassist. Do you agree with that? I don't know. I think it's such a case-by-case basis, Uh but I guess I understand that logic. Let me phrase it this way. The guitarist and lead singer is probably not the most intelligent person in the band musically. Okay. Oh, musical intelligence. Yeah. What you mean. Okay. Right. It's yeah. I would agree with that. It's easier to be. I don't want to push you into this. You don't. If you don't believe. No. That, now I'm actually now I'm actually thinking about it because it's not something I would have thought about before. Mm-hmm. But I've always noted that I like playing electric much better because it's easier to cover your ass than it is playing acoustic yeah. or like totally. by yourself. Totally. And I think from guitar to bass that stands true too. Like if you're playing an electric rock band, you could just squeal something out on the guitar and make it. <laughs> Yeah, sound fine. You know, or yeah. even better, if you're in open tuning, you can right. just drum it open, <laughs> fix whatever's going on in your pedal board, or the, put the drum set back in place, and and yep. nothing sounds wrong. Hit one of those frets with the dots on it. You're fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Don't give away the secrets. We got to keep this. We got to keep this. Yeah. What was that middle school band like? Um, we didn't really do anything. We just no. we had a drum, we had a bass, we had a guitar, and we got together and made noise in a room never played a show which is always a bummer but you know it seems like maybe kind of a turned out to be a good thing to where i don't want to say the lack of success of a middle school band but 
just a lack of productivity, I felt kind of led to lighting a little fire under right. my and our respective selves. Did you start playing guitar in a band after that one? or? Yeah, I played lead guitar in a band called Dear Sleeper. We ripped off Manchester Orchestra and Me Without You and tried to be too artsy for our own good. <laughs> we had a... Uh, we had uh, <laughs> So you know that era in... 2007 to 2009 maybe before that 2005 to 2009 where every band every indie rock guitar band had to have a concept record yeah Um, it coincided with when i was in college so i was like yeah getting people to tell me about indie music for the first time when i only liked rancid and ska when i was in (laughs) yeah exactly yeah it wasn't even just indie it was like emo and right um we did a concept record as our first no, we did a concept EP as our first release, which it was called um, Red, Yellow, Blue, based on the primary colors. Oh, no. And red, <laughs> yeah, exactly. red, red was, a, it was based upon Thrice's um, Air, uh, their Elements EPs, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, red was fiery and uh, had gusto. Blue was like mellow and sounded like Death Cab for Cutie, or at least what we thought Death Cab for Cutie sounded like to our, you know, four chord high school brains. Red, blue, yellow, and yellow was like sunny and acoustic driven. So you did the thrice thing, but just called it colors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. It works for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that those were their like. Well, like that's like eight years yeah. in for Thrice. It wasn't yeah. their first EP. <laughs> they may have lost more people at that time, actually. Yeah, I think I think so. Yeah. All yeah, the time. What do you mean? You guys haven't heard of Red, Yellow, Blue before? <laughs> Reservoir has um, Securina Volume One, and now we don't really play, so it's just going to always be that mysterious Volume One that never gets a follow-up. <laughs> which is beautiful. Which is yeah. beautiful in in, in its own. Yeah. So that's that was my band after. I believe my middle school band was called slightly modified and the band after that was dear sleeper (laughs) those are both both better than submarine screen door which is the band i spent all of high school in (laughs) Uh, let's go sub screen when you changed your name oh yeah don't talk to me about that (laughs) wait 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 sub (laughs) we short we shortened it because we well mike wanted it to not be as stupid but still be recognizable so he made it into two words that don't make any sense together at all that's okay that's pretty cool though i mean like (laughs) if you think about like i've been trying to write music and and come up with names for it and i obsess over it way too much i don't know if that's just my personality but i feel like it's it's um a symptom of my age just being like okay i gotta get something that checks these boxes but in high school you just do those you come up with words that are funny to you and you name a band that and then it like it's just it's easy it's so easy yeah like i i know that submarine screen door is probably not a great band name (laughs) it's a bad it's a bad band name i would go as far as (laughs) but to have that confidence just to be like i'm naming it that and then just going with it and people remembered it it wasn't like exactly it wasn't like a other band Exactly. What? Are, yeah. What are we doing now? I don't. I mean, Bullshit. I had uh, some deet, which was short for something to eat for my first. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. 
Seth yeah. Rich. There's no, no credit for that in any way. <laughs> it feels very Pennsylvanian when I yeah. think back on it now. It's just like... Yeah. <laughs> do you guys... Um, do you know uh, Hello Donuts? No. I, I don't know if I do. Is that a band? Uh, no, no, no. It's a donut <laughs> shop. Um, that, like, Zach Zerlo and um, Joe, the old New Blue manager, and a couple other people started, but they called it Hello Donuts because... And maybe I'm simplifying this too much, but they always wanted to call it Hello, or they uh, rather, they always wanted to call it uh, You Donuts, like oh. the Philly Yo, yeah, <laughs> and came up with Hello Donuts as a reaction to that. At least maybe I'm telling the story wrong. They're going to be mad at me though. <laughs> um, that that so. makes it less of a regional like niche though. That's like right. so. When did uh when did you blew it start? How many, were there other bands in between there or? Um, no, it was, it was slightly modified <laughs> and then it was Deer Sleeper. And then I went to college and we started You Blew It, which is, it, You Blew It is very much a name of that ilk of like yeah. stupid, funny words that sound funny together. So yeah, I graduated high school in 08 and we started You Blew It in 09 with just some guys that, um, you know, wanted to play music around Orlando. We played one of Trunks played one of your first handful of shows, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I remember at, that. Um, at Uncle Lou's. Yeah, Lightning Bolt was playing at Will's down the street. Yeah, right? yeah. And uh, Greg also played that Among Giants. Yes. Bobby Bobby's Greg, or yeah. Greg, yeah. Mm-hmm. He drove us on our West Coast tour because I called him and asked him. <laughs> really? Yeah. I well, it was something new, but I forgot about. Yeah, uh, we did it in 2016, but I. I called him because we didn't want to drive all the way over there and then just play the coast. Uh-huh. And uh, we had buddies with a van, and he drove us down and dropped us at the airport and drove the van back to Seattle. <laughs> Dude, he's a trooper. Yeah, he's something. <laughs> he's something else. That guy's cool. I think this doesn't have anything to do with you, blew it, Tanner. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on that same tour, we played with Greg again uh-huh. at uh, at Nobby's in St. Augustine. Did you guys play there? We never played St. Augustine. Not okay. for lack of trying, but I'm pretty sure Nobby's was the only spot. I think so too, yeah. But uh we played there on the fourth of July with a bunch of bands doing covers and people set off fireworks at my van. And it yeah, was like I heard this story. Greg told me the story. The next yeah. show we after that. Yeah, I think it was going, yeah, the, yeah, the next night. Yeah, I think we played with you on the 3rd of July, and then the next night we played there. A bunch of cover bands, no one paid attention to our two things at all. And at the time, I didn't drink, so it's not even like I could 4th of July party with <laughs> whatever St. Augustine's version of Rednecks are. And then they all shot off fireworks, and I heard them dinging off my van as I drove away. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, okay, I remember the story. I don't know if it was Greg that told me. I think later... We stayed with you in uh, not York, um, or was it York? Uh, you so, would have you would have stayed with either Stephen and or someone else in York. Um, Spring stayed with us. Yes, that, yeah, that apartment. Yeah. I think you told us that story then, um, yeah. which is highly characteristic of St. Augustine rednecks, which is <laughs> just rednecks. You don't have to have a certain name for that. They're just rednecks. So you blew its lineup changed like a whole bunch of times. Mm-hmm. It kind of rotated there at the beginning. How did you land on, I don't know, a classic lineup, I guess, or like a solid thing that you felt you could tour with? I don't even know. Either when I man. saw you, it was Trevor, you, and uh, Tim. 
Yeah. Yeah. That, so emo bands reuniting is kind of a thing that was kind of more popular in like 2014-ish. I always wonder if we ever did do that. Let's say 2024, 10 years, we do the cycle. Yeah. Emo bands start reuniting uh, again. Sprainer comes back another time. Um, Blue yeah. comes back. I don't know what our reliant would be. Kind of the Trevor, Tim, me lineup feels, it feels, uh, I can't think of the word, um, formative. It feels like the formative right. Blue lineup. But the one that feels like just the road dog killing it, um, just like roughing it on the road, being out seven to ten months out of the year. Um, was madnessly, which you guys I'm sure are very aware of. Yeah. <laughs> um, Andy Vila, Andy Anaya, and myself. Yeah, those guys are road dogs. They just, I, I think, I think we, we all. I don't want to say we, we chose anyone. We just kind of found each other. We all had our own differences on the road, but I don't know. I can't imagine doing it with anyone else than than those guys. And I can't tell if it's just something they got lucky, like I got lucky in doing that, or or that, I don't know, our personalities kind of intertwined. I, have, I, know, I'm, I know I'm kind of going on a tangent based on your question, but... Oh, um, please do. <laughs> but, but yeah, those guys, um, we all fit a mold. Um, we all got along. We all did it together, learned how to communicate with each other after some trial and error, and... Uh, yeah, I, I think I think we ended up with the right lineup for the for the past five six years or whatever it was. I think of Andy as like core. You blew it when I think of your lineups. Whereas I've seen like six bass players. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, quite a, quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. Well. Ah, uh, Marco. Was he the first bass player? Yeah, Because you didn't have bass players for a while. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then Marco was the first, I think. Mm-hmm. And the, the soccer hooligan whose name I can't remember. <laughs> David Fuentes. Now, before, it was pre-David Fuentes. I feel like we had this conversation one time. He, uh, The year that you guys played at, stayed at Hexter's house in Philly, he was on that that tour, and he like met a girl and took off on his own and then made it back to the apartment like the next oh. day. I know. I don't want to say his name, but I know who, uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> soccer hooligan, huh? I don't know if he was a soccer hooligan, but I know <laughs> I know that I know that era. I know who it was. Me saying that is just oh, once I saw him wear a soccer jersey and sambas, so that's why I'm thinking that. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have, um, any good Matt Nisley tour stories you want to tell? They're all pretty similar. <laughs> not not to disparage him. That that that's only to lift him up. He had a persona that he stuck to. I don't want to say he stuck to it intentionally because it is just him. He's just yeah. Matthew. He's just Matthew Party Nisley. He can crush a Mountain Dew like no one else. You know this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. There's no specific memory that's coming to mind. Just mostly that he was so true to himself in a way that I've never seen with anyone else. Yeah. Um that memory of him will just endure forever. I mean, like just knowing that like he likes to go to bed early before he does, he likes to fucking party. (laughs) Um, But there's a fine line because he doesn't want anyone to get too drunk to where they're feeling odd. Yeah. Right. He likes the pre-party. 
he wants everybody to feel good all the time. He want exactly. Yeah. I'm going to feel good all the time. He's the glue guy, you know? Yeah. 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 Any any story that I could come up with for Matt Nisley would be, would end in him being the the glue guy. Yeah. He's, he's happy to make everyone else happy. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. He's a pretty good bowler too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He, He has that shape too. He has that form. He has a really good bowling form. I can't say a lot about a lot of my friends. We played a Mac rock with, we were skeletons on their last handful of shows. Mm -hmm. And Matt was insistent that we all as a group go bowling after the show together. Well, how'd it go? It was okay. It was, I remember a lot of people not being into spending the money to bowl. So it ended up being like Matt, Lois, me, and maybe one other member of Reservoir and everyone else just sitting there watching us bowl. I I would have bowled. I was afraid to bowl considering my injured arm situation. What was your situation? I well, I still have a torn labrum in my shoulder, which any sort of like, you know, it pops out, it hurts. I didn't know that. Yeah. Is it, does it does it happen often? Yeah, it's getting worse. I got surgery on before in Reservoir to play a bunch of shows acoustic, mm-hmm. and uh, I retour it on. I think it was on that West Coast tour when we hopped that pool fence. Do you know? Do you know Brad Kohler? From the uh, L.A. Anaheim area, he was really good friends with Perfect Future. The name, the name is familiar via, well, it's going to well, age, age us and me, but message boards and and things like that. But uh, I don't think we ever right. really met. On that West Coast tour, we stayed at his apartment complex, and he's like, "Hey, we have a pool, but it's closed." And we're like, "We'll take our chances." And I remember Stephen launching over the fence and just like falling onto the ground and dislocating his shoulder on the other side of the pool fence. And we're all like, you got to be quiet. We're not allowed to be here. I didn't let go soon enough. And it pulled my arm back and just popped out backwards. And so I retore it and I still haven't gotten the surgery, but now it's kind of like at the point the other day, I was standing there holding on to my cabinet and just talking to my wife and it just popped out. Really? Yeah. I'm going to need surgery again. But that's why I haven't bowled in a while. (laughs) How often does it like pop out and tear? It's it's getting almost daily now. It's really yeah. It was that it'd be like I'd go months without it happening. And this is what happened before when I finally needed to get the surgery. I it would start happening like monthly, then weekly, and more frequently. And like now, like sometimes I dislocate it while sleeping, and I just like wake up screaming fuck, and my kids are like, "What's going on?" And my wife's like. God damn it, not again. <laughs> and it hurts every time. It it doesn't hurt when it's out. It hurts putting it back in and popping when it pops out. Um, but I just usually grab it and then roll around on the ground swearing until it goes in. <laughs> so is this something you think about like consciously, like as your like day to day life? Like yeah. if I wanted to reach over and grab this notepad. Yeah. You're like you're like, I should go over with my other arm. When I put shirts on, I have to put them like my arm in like yeah. that. Yeah, I can't not... imagine. That's wild. Holy has, shit! Has it Sorry. come out playing drums? I can't remember. Um, not while playing drums because usually the motion is backwards. Yeah. Like it pops that way. It doesn't pop forward, and I'm normally like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, because that's your. Sometimes when I go like that on a crash, I feel it. I could kind of feel it, and I pull myself in. Uh, it's happened like um like tearing down and shit like that. Huh. Yeah. God damn. So it's like a, it's just kind of something that, do you know the motion? Like if you were about to be like, 
to reach for something or, you know, break down a symbol, do you know when it's about to happen? Or I can feel it kind of get close sometimes, but if I'm not like, if I'm not paying attention, which I do a lot, (laughs) um, it's, that's usually when it happens. Like, God damn. But I, I'll, I'll just get surgery and tired again in six years. <laughs> Fuck, I'm sorry, man. Sorry. Right. Worst things. We, we do a Halloween show at the Skid Row Garage mm-hmm. most most years, and he uh, sings in an All Hallows EP AFI band. And, and I remember the first time he did, he's just like walking around like, oh, my shoulder's fucking hanging out. Everyone just like shoved, shoved into him and made fun of It builds courage. It's like hot sauce. It's like my own personal hot sauce. That's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. I admire that. Uh, I don't want to keep talking about your shoulder, but it's amazing what the human body will normalize. Yeah. Like, like I'm not saying that like you want it to do that all the time, but you just think of it, like you said, Tanner, it's like, oh, I just think of it now. Yeah. 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 Uh, My doctor gets really angry at me when I go, because he's like, let's check your range of motion. And he tries to like pull it back and I won't let him. He's like, you're Uh guarding. I'm like, I know, because I don't want to pop. I was like, stop guarding. No, stop guarding. No, I'm not going to stop guarding. (laughs) So he like wants to check where it pops out. Yeah. He wants to see, and I won't let him. (laughs) (laughs) Cause you're like, that hurts. Yeah, like the yeah. fuck, man. Come on, what <laughs> I'm doing. I don't care. <laughs> All right, so uh, where where were we? And you blew its life, Tanner. I don't remember. I, we were talking I, about Madness. Madness. Yeah, Lee. I don't like going too like chronologically hit every bullet point because mm-hmm. uh, that's weird. Just run down like a couple years of your life in bullet points. But uh, what band did you enjoy touring with the most? Because you guys did some pretty big tours yeah. then, right? What's some of the most memorable bands? Um, the It's hard to pick because it's also different. Say Anything was our first like really big per diem like set load in time, set sound check times yeah Um, we had a green room kind of thing tour that one's really important to us because of the rooms we got to play like i got to check off like bucket list stuff like we played a we we played a sold out show in in times square um at sony arena or whatever it was called then but at the same time like supporting front bottoms in 2014 is like a big 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 memory for us because you know we got to play 500 cap rooms for the first time and and in a way that was like expected we knew that we would play these rooms we put knew that we play these these amount of people every night but at the same time like um the one that that i think back most fondly in my memory like to where if you know my grandkids are gathered around and, and sitting in my lap and, and, and whatever i i think i would probably say i'm most proud to have toured with Coheed and Cambria. Okay. Like how's our, yeah. we did like a, a two week warm up run with them. They would they would do um like a thousand cap rooms, which was small for them, testing out, you know, their set for upcoming releases and tours and stuff like that. And just being around them and seeing their professionalism, um, their love for the craft, like just like them being cool with like us was awesome. I think that if you were to tour, or rather, if you were to carve the tour in my gravestone, it would be the COVID recovery tour. Um, I hope that answers the question. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. wild to think of a warm-up run of 1,000 cap rooms. 
like it's like a test like that's crazy and you mentioned the touring with the front bottoms and it's fun because you you blew it and the front bottoms have weird places in my memory because i saw you both play to nobody a lot of years ago <laughs> and like, uh, i don't say that i don't say that to drag you at all it's just like no, they start start out they don't that. play to anybody trunks and tails played a, a diy fest in the woods of rhode island and i think the only bands that to front bottoms still play yeah, yeah, they're we're seeing them uh, like a couple months from now. So I think the I think the only bands that are still together from that DIY fest are the Front Bombs and Ed Hockley from Pittsburgh. Oh and, wow! Oh my god! <laughs> and we all we all played a barn in the middle of the woods and everybody camped. Dude. It was wild. Where was that? Um, in Rhode Island, Emily Byram from Circle Circle. Oh, okay. and, uh, oh yeah, Emily! Oh my god! Yeah, she booked that when she was in Mutiny Amongst Friends, and it was like three days of like folky band and at hockey league. Stinky. The front what? bombs drove up in someone's dad's SUV and were really concerned because they <laughs> lost a bag of weed in the seat and couldn't find it. Oh my god. <laughs> that that was Jesus, two thousand eight or nine? No, eight or nine, probably around then. <laughs> Yeah. 2008-9 sounds good. Yeah. That's that's uh that's really really cool. It's funny that like most bands have a um we played a fest or we played a Yeah, we played a fest in the middle of nowhere <laughs> and no one came story, you know? <laughs> like we have one that is in um Missouri or Oklahoma. Yeah, it's but but it's like those are the those are the those are the really good memories. Like you know, I I won't remember the process of going up to play to five hundred people, but I'll remember the process and entire night, entire day leading up to going to play to zero people in rural Texas. You know, yeah, yeah for sure. Cool. It's formative. It's it's like you know, it's cool. That's and Andy from Reservoir will be like. Justin, what was that show in the band we played with at this weird place in Massachusetts? And I can go, Community Club in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. <laughs> nice try, kid, was the band. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. those shows that you can pick out. But... Speaking of bad band names, wow. <laughs> but, nice, nice try, kid. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, what led to the decision to stop doing You Blew It? Um, a couple things. We had kind of reached a realization that in order to make money or make enough money to make it viable, we would have to be gone all the time, just right. the entire year, essentially. And that didn't really jive with us. On top of that, we had all been kind of experiencing a little bit of creativity creativity difference, which I know is like the hallmark. Does that reflect in that in the last record? Because that's definitely a... That was like kind of it, it was different than um, the record before, and it was a little bit more like unique, and you could hear there were new ideas coming mm -hmm. in. Did that reflect on that record? You think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think a lot of the difference was up to, um, or a lot of difference could be chalked up to. If I'm being honest, um, I controlled a lot of the writing process or pre pre production process, and I think a lot of my tastes flowed into there and then we got into the studio and kind of melded it into something that was a little bit more um 
cohesive for all of us, which I think was kind of the last ditch effort for everyone as we're all going different directions in our own tastes and writing styles. I think we met at a really good point at that record. Um, and I think we kind of knew that after that, we wouldn't really be able to do that again. Everything has its ending date. Everything runs its course. So I think you blew it at that point. We realized it had run its course. Not that we're happy about it, but you know, we're all friends to this day. It's, it's just it's better to it's better to know and to cap it before you beat it into like not that you would be into the ground, but like made each other unhappy or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like to be able yeah. to p- pick a spot together that you're all like, okay, this is the logical end of this, rather than have it forced upon you by some outside circumstance. Yeah, and that's a good that's a good point uh, to bring up. We all have such a good relationship that we didn't want to get to a point where we would let creative differences get in the way of our friendships. It was, I mean, it was a kind of tough call to make, but the fatigue kind of helped make that decision. Yeah. I think to answer your question more directly, the fatigue was the main thing that made us kind of call it, but all the underlying issues, creativity differences, et cetera, et cetera, kind of justified it a little more. I miss it. I do. Um, yeah. But I don't, I don't regret vision. I think we were all kind of happy to see it play its course and, and do its thing. Well, you guys kind of left it open-ended a little bit, didn't you? Yeah, we did. I think we wanted to leave it a little open-ended in case we wanted to pick up a tour and, and go play with American football. Right. <laughs> I was going to say that. And I I feel like in a world where no band really breaks up, it's better to um, leave it open-ended rather than make a big deal out of like, hey, we're done, and then come back and have to deal with talking about it. You know what I mean? Just like... We never said we broke up because we didn't. We just stopped playing, and now we can play when we want. Steven, what are your son's names? This is Ender, and this is Eleanor. Oh, Eleanor. Oh, I'm sorry. Ender and Eleanor. Hi. Hi. Can they hear us right now? Yeah, yeah. See, Ender. Uh Oh, Ender and Eleanor. Hi. (laughs) What are you eating? Strawberries. That's good. Strawberries are good. That's a big strawberry. Steven, okay. is that a big strawberry, or does it look big in relation to Ender's small form? <laughs> um, it's a good-sized strawberry. Okay, good to know that uh, as a former produce manager, you're giving your kids uh, good, big fruit. They're Driscoll's. Not the best company, but very good quality. They had some ever, lawsuits, I think. Do you ever wonder, you go to the store, you look at strawberries— Every single time, it's a different company. Yeah. It's strange. It is strange. I, I don't know if this is just Florida, because we're getting in a ton of different... No, it's that's, yeah, that's how it is. Yeah, it's strange. We have, like, Driscoll's, Angel's Fruit or something is what it's called. I think Wish uh, Farms we get. Wish, Wish Farms. Farms. Yeah, there's, like, six different companies that filter in and out. It's odd. Yeah. Does, does Publix have, like, its store brand, then, too? I think Publix is more consistent. Yeah. But my my girlfriend and I shop at Walmart and Target, and they're much more. But I still take the cheaper, you know, the cheaper deal. Right. If they can. What's your favorite strawberry brand? Wish Farms. You like the Wish Farms? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They stay a little better. I don't know why. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe I shouldn't like the one that stays a little better. One of these strawberries. 
Shut up. Wait, hold on. Tell who is that, Ender? Uncle Butt. Uncle Butt. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it, Ender. <laughs> He's been calling me that for about a year. <laughs> Hi, buddy. Hi. So, how old is Ender? He's three. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, he seems a lot older. He looks like he's like five, yeah. Yeah, wow. I've, I've friends with... No, I'm not five. I'm, when I turn three, I will turn to four. When do you turn four, Ender? Because that's what happens. When I turn to three, I will turn to four. In September, right? Yeah, September. Do you feel... Um, do you feel your age? Do you feel like you're older than your age? <laughs> and he smiles and chomps down on Barry. Andrew, do you do you feel like a big kid? Yeah, me either. <laughs> yeah. He's in his like they kind of get it's like they're drunk when they're tired, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. He's kind of in that stage right oh, now. Oh, I know that. Yeah. This is late for us too. Ender, what do you call what do you call Justin? Huh? What do you me. call Justin? What's his name? What is Uncle Butt? What is Uncle Butt's name? Justin. Just, J- Justin, does he only know you as Uncle Butt? I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> That's I plan on introducing him as that. <laughs> I mean, uh, Stephen brought him to a friendsgiving at our house. He was uh-huh. one of the one of the only kids, and you could tell he was like getting a little bored. So I. Uh, Brought him up to the office where my guitars and stuff are. I gave him a gourd full of beans. And he, he just like stood there with the biggest smile on his face, like shaking this gourd. <laughs> okay, Ellie wants to say hi to Uncle Buck quick. Right, hi. Hi, El- hi, Eleanor. Say goodnight. <laughs> so tell us about Easy Luck. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a coffee shop. Started half out of want, half out of uh, necessity. What do you mean by necessity? So uh, coming back from tour from around 2013 to 2017, 18, I was working at a warehouse, which, you know, is not generally the path you want to take as a 25, 26-year-old. So when I when I came back from tour and kind of realized that we didn't really want to do that, didn't really want to... Um, have the touring life be our main source of income for a little while. I didn't really want to go back to work in a warehouse as well, like my main profession. Um, right. right. But also, um, in, in doing that, in, in doing You Blew It, we'd burned a couple bridges, um, not intentionally, but just, you know, just by, by way of saying no to jobs or turning down offers for jobs. You kind of lose some skills or opportunity for skills. Um, so you come back, which I'm sure you know, from tour and you yeah. work your warehouse jobs or you work your retail jobs or whatever. Uh, and I didn't really want to keep doing that. I didn't want to keep working at the company I was at. I didn't really want to work in a warehouse. So the idea was I'd rely on my work ethic as a band. Um, I want to rely on my work ethic as a um, contributing member to the economy or right. capitalism, etc. We had some friends looking for a bar at the time. They finally found a place after a year, maybe two years searching. 
but they couldn't really afford it because it was a little too big. So they needed roommates, essentially like someone to set up a business inside their business to pay rent and make it work for them. My friend Matt and I uh, had you know, some knowledge and some um, experience in coffee. So we decided to try to give it a go that way, just because essentially we had nothing to lose. If we if it didn't work, then we would go back to warehouse jobs, etc. Um, right. And someone work. else had cool. the building, so it's not like you were stuck in a yeah, like maybe a le- like a handshake lease. You know, you weren't like signing anything. I would assume exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. We essentially rent eighty five square feet out of a thousand square foot venue. So oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So uh, it's been working out. It's been it's been paying the bills enough where things get by and it's been something that i can focus my attention on it's been really cool yeah so that's easy luck yeah that's why i had to focus on that too so it wasn't only like the band you don't play in anymore <laughs> <laughs> no that's fine that's fine yeah no i don't mind i don't mind talking about you blue i'm like that's uh it's a it's a really good time it's a really good time in my life that i put a lot of effort into i'm happy to talk about it yeah it's cool because it's that way for us too because we don't play that much anymore so i think i can't speak for steven but part of this that's awesome is being able to like talk to you again face to face like i see you and yeah i, I would see you twice a year for six years <laughs> you know what yeah I mean? and now yeah. we don't see each other anymore so it's funny how that works isn't it it's like man it's like it makes me a little sad i, I don't miss not having money to buy things or like sleeping in the van but like it does make me sad not to see you guys specifically or like people that I saw two to three times a year all the right. time. You know, it, it seems like the givens are not so given anymore, which kind of makes me a little sad, but the constant, I guess that's aging. Constant anymore. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> that's, my, that, like my get of kids tattoo. There it is. Nice. Yeah. That's the part of touring I missed for sure. Was just the, the hanging out part. Uh-huh. Is there anything we, I know we didn't, talk very in i mean i don't know what you want to say about you blew it uh-huh. um, is there anything we didn't talk about that you wish we did no i mean i'm i'm i mean obviously i'm kind of insular i don't really know what people want to talk about uh want to talk about with that band um i'm happy to answer anything but no i don't i don't i don't have anything else to say about that i don't know like we all okay. we all keep a group chat you know we all yeah we all post jokes every you know three or four times a month um i see the andes um anytime they're in town <laughs> i see the i see the matt nisley every time he's in town um yeah we're all still buds i still love those guys i still hold them andy and i is in dikembe right dikembe and pool kids oh okay yeah which pool kids is killing it right now they're very good what steven uh, they played. They played. Uh, well, they played Philly, okay. um, probably two weeks ago. Um, they're on tour with the Wonder Years right now. Oh, that might have been what I saw then. Yeah, they kill. They're uh, God. It's like you look at a band, and you go, "I wish I, my band did that." And it's cool kids. They're they're they rock. They're cool. Awesome. They're so cool. I I am woefully out of touch with anything new or hip or. Uh-uh. Uh, at all like the last new band's name that i could tell you is like prince daddy and the hyena probably 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, not to say that I'm like in tune with new music, but like, man, you should check out like. There's like this. There's a really cool like, psych rock, underground going on right now. There's like a really cool uh, like I don't know, soccer mommy, and Lamelda, and <laughs> all those bands that are like doing like. It's it's so cool because like, guitar rock is still alive. It's still <laughs> it's still alive, even though it doesn't feel like it. There's still so many cool guitar rock bands. Um, yeah. God, it's fucking cool. I regret that I was, that I'm not five years younger. Just yeah. to not be a part of that. So you'd uh, be touring. You'd be touring with them now. I wish, dude. I wish. It's cool. <laughs> Fuck, it's so cool. Um, I also say this in a way that I have to strive to find new music because I'm playing nine hours of music every single day when I go to the shop. Of course. Um, so I'm just always looking for something new to play. Um, so I'm, I'm at an advantage to finding new music. Um, but fuck. The music industry is gloomy, but the state of it is, is cool. There's lots of opportunity. It's awesome. All right. <laughs> we'll wrap up. It's okay. It's okay. Thank you so much, Tanner, for being patient and for stopping on and doing this. Um, we'll definitely, I want to check out, uh, was it Fool Kids? Full uh, kids. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We'll check them out. Um, any other shout outs you got? Well, before you go, Tanner, do you, uh, do you want me to grab Lois? Do you want to say hi, Lois? Yeah, I really do. Okay. All right, I'm going to hop off and get my kids to bed. It was great okay. catching up, Tanner. Um, yeah. All right. If I think that was, I'll shoot you a message. Okay, yeah. Wow, groundbreaking stuff, Tanner. Thanks for doing the interview. So Lois, I used to go to um, all of the uh, home for the holidays things. Yeah. And um, the one year that from the stage, they shouted out like, oh, the after parties at the Asbury Lanes. And you could hear everybody talking about it. And you didn't need anything to get in other than your wristband from the show. So yeah. we were like, fuck, fuck it. We're already here. Let's stop by the Asbury Lanes for a little bit. And it was fine. But it also felt like the biggest high school reunion if you were like the kid that transferred in in senior year, like yeah. you weren't like you, we didn't feel like we were supposed to be there, but not cause anyone was hostile. It's just like, we were like, Oh no, everyone here knows each other except us. <laughs> except us. Yeah. We're just like transplants. And, um, one of the, last I, things... Sorry, I'll never, I'll never forget. My favorite concert experience is from the bouncing souls. And it was at chameleon club. And it was the first time I ever saw them. It was 2006 or 2007. And um, I'm drawing a blank, the singer's name. Greg. Yeah. He just started walking on everybody's head and shoulders <laughs> all the way back to the bar. That's awesome. Got down, got a shot climbed back on top of people and went back on stage. That's amazing. And I thought that that was like the fucking coolest thing in the goddamn world. <laughs> and I was like sitting off to the side and like, I had like snuck in cause it was 21 plus downstairs and yeah. all ages upstairs. And I had like finagled my way in illegally. So I was like super fucking nervous to be down on like the main floor. 
And I just saw this and I was like, what is this guy doing? He's so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. The last time, I think it was the last time we that you booked Bouncing Souls at Chameleon or maybe a time before that. Um, we can't, I think it was the one we printed the posters for. Yeah. We were, yeah. The, we were there and um, George also plays in Hot Water Music the drummer mm -hmm. and obviously hot wire music's one of my favorite bands and we were lingering yeah. around towards the end to talk to you and josh was there to see willie and etc cetera, etc cetera. and i see george by himself and i'm like a little buzz i'm like love so i'm gonna go talk to george she goes <laughs> yeah yeah go do it go do it and i go up and i like nervously wait behind him and then he, he like kind of turns and sees me and i'm like hey man i just I just want to say hot wire music means a whole lot to me, man. Like, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was like, sorry to bug you, but hot wire music means a whole lot to me. And he looks me in the eyes and goes, hell yeah, man. It means a lot to me too. And shook my hand and then like, let me go. And it was really awesome. That's awesome. It was really that good. That shit is awesome. It was perfect. Like, There's never a fucking time that like, I, I, I see so many people like get nervous around bands. They don't want to be like a nerd. Or they don't want to, like, expose themselves as fans. Like, real, true, like, fucking fans. Like, they want to be cool. Yeah. And I, I remember this time when I was on tour with a band and I was young. And I was, like, scolded for, like, being, like, a fanboy. Oh, that and sucks. I, and I was just like, oh, this sucks. I, I didn't care. But it was just, like, it was something that happened. And it was the first time I met Travis from Piebald. And we yeah. went out to L.A., and I remember getting told, like, hey, don't don't be, like, a nerd about it. It's Travis from Piebald. And at the time, I was like, I know that one song, but I wasn't, like, a super fan, but I liked their songs. And anyway, so we got drunk, and we went to the Troubadour. We, like, the band I was on tour with played a show, and Travis was hanging out, and... I was like, oh, shit, I, I love Piebald. Love Piebald. But I was told, like, not to, like, really embarrass myself in front of you. And Travis said to me, I don't do any of this to, like, keep it a secret. Like, right. tell, tell me that you appreciate what I've done. That's awesome. Right? Like, that's, yeah, like, that's, but that's the whole point of doing point. this. It's not to gloat. It's not to fucking, like, showboat. But it's like, hey... I wrote this for you. I wrote this for all these other people. Tell me what I'm doing is important. Yeah. It, why is that? Why Why is that embarrassing? It It sounds sh shitty when I say that. Like there aren't a ton of people that I get like weird about yeah. anymore. Because uh, you play music long enough, you meet the bouncing souls or you meet whoever, right? Sure. Um, yeah. But a handful of years ago, when Brian Fallon was on his first round of uh, solo tours he did a signing at a record store in philly and los i went ahead of the show and i'm standing in line being like i love every gas anthem record i don't know what the fuck i could possibly say to this dude that encapsulates the way i feel about like this band and how it changed like everything in college for me and all this stuff yeah. and i'm just like freaking out and i get up and like i hand my record to sign and i'm like man your songs mean a whole lot to me thanks for doing that and he just shook my hand and goes that's so cool man thanks and I'm like, right? that that's all you thank you for not being like weird about it. Like thank you for being awesome. Like that's all, I, all it takes. I understand feeling weird about getting a compliment like that. Yeah. Like I, I really truly do like having been on both sides of the coin, 
like sometimes it is weird, but it's never, at least from my perspective, if someone says, dude, that, that song that you wrote or that record you wrote changed my life, it might make me feel weird because I'm, I don't feel significant. Right. But at the same time, it, it makes me feel weird because it's like, that's a very powerful thing to like say to somebody. It's, it's, like, it's weird. It's, like, it's... like, hey, like, hey, that thing that you did, it changed my life. Think about yeah. that. It changed my life. You could be fucking stoked and be quick to it and be like, thank you so much for enjoying it. Or you could be weird and be like, I don't know what to say. But it's still it's still a really important thing to hear. The one yeah. thing I've learned is there's there's literally nothing worse than when you get a compliment, especially after playing a set. And I'm guilty of this when I probably was younger more so than now. But someone saying, hey, man, that was really great. You guys were awesome. And being like, oh, we fucked up. We played shitty. Like, and putting yourself down after a set because Reservoir did it in private with each other. We didn't really say to people who complimented us. Yeah. But, like, every time old tigers plays a show we'll get a compliment and it'll be the first thing mitch says is oh well we fucked up the second song it's like just take the fucking compliment man like take it and like enjoy it because there's not much else you do that like you get joy from so if someone else is enjoying it it's 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 hard to take that compliment especially after you play i think in my opinion like yeah it's (laughs) you also like get like kind of jaded because like what I think of like someone that's like coming to me like right after stage that Good says set, nice dude. set and it's like yo snare, can, I, yeah. can I borrow your snare hey I saw you're playing through that twin you think I can borrow that twin but how jaded is that like I can't yeah. take a compliment after I play a set unless it's like from like someone that I know wait yeah. where was and even people I know ask me to borrow my stuff after I play. So, yeah, that, attic, <laughs> that attic show we played at the Chameleon, this dude was so stoked on all tigers. And he got one of my drumsticks somehow. I don't know how, because I didn't, like, throw it out into the fucking crowd. You know? <laughs> but he came up to me. He's like, will you sign this for me? Dude, you have, to, you have to watch out at the club. You never know when you'll get like those kind of fans like i've played i've played those shows before like where you're the opening band and like you you gotta realize like the the guys and the people that come to those shows they may have been waiting for like 12 months to go see a show right you know what i mean like they're not always going to concerts they're not always going to like skid row they're not going to a house show like they they actually might have been like planning for four months to go see the addicts blah 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 and then they see your band and you play and you play a good set and it's fucking great and they think you're just a fucking rock star they they don't know that you work at fucking wise markets yeah they don't they don't they don't know that you're a part-time employee at a gym they don't know that you work at a grocery store, blah, blah, blah. They think that you're just a fucking rock star on the stage and they liked your band and they were fucking, they were yeah. pleased with it. And they asked you for a drumstick. Cause that different, that line between like supporting local and headliner is really blurred to people that only go to like two shows a year. Yeah. 
And I think I think it's very obvious for folks that go to Lizard Lounge, but folks that go upstairs at Chameleon Club, like main floor, it's a little different. Right. Like, because I I really do think like they are two different venues essentially. It's it's the local spot where local bands can jam, and maybe eventually we'll get like you know a cool like buzzy hype band down the lounge. But upstairs. If you're a local band playing up there, you're most likely playing in front of fans that like don't really know that you are a normal guy working in the community and doing your own thing. Yeah. Well, like when Reservoir played with the Menzingers, and the Menzingers aren't the Addicts or no. Lucero or whatever. They yeah. might be as big as Lucero now. Who knows? But uh, to me. They're the Menzingers who we saw play small clubs or whatever. But even so, like they have those fans because when we played that, people were like, it's so amazing that you're playing with the Menzingers and you have to just be like, yeah, it's awesome, man. And inside go, we played in a basement with them to 30 people one time. <laughs> yeah, totally. But those are like, those are the fans that I'm not going to say cherry pick to them, but those are the fans that like will like make your band big. For sure. Because you play, you open up for Lucero, it's you and me. It's you and me yeah. in the crowd times 600. Yep. They're all people like us who are just like, when's Lucero coming on? Blah, blah, blah. But like these like <laughs> pop, but these pop punk bands that, or even metal bands, blah, 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 that bring on like support bands and they have a younger crowd. Those people will actually listen to like the first bands and they'll fucking fall in love with them. And I, I've seen it. I've seen it a thousand times where a band that opens up for another band comes back and they do better than the band they opened up for. It's fucking, it's actually kind of incredible. I'd like to tell you a story that I'd like to tell you a story. That's the complete opposite of that. And if I have told this before, <laughs> before stop me, but, uh, Thank you, I, thank, you, thank you for following my inspiring story with like misery. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It's it's not total misery, I guess. But um, when I it's was a freshman, the story of a reservoir. No, <laughs> hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. It very well, very well could be, hold but on. but um, when I first went to college, me and a bunch of friends went and saw Dragon Force on their first uh, U.S. tour. Oh, yeah. played, do you guys remember Dragon Force? I yeah. remember Dragon Force. Yeah. So Hard they forget they Not played me. the uh, they played the truck and it was their first U.S. tour ever. So it's these dudes that are like riding. I don't know where they're from. I think they're English. Wait, but, I uh, thought they were from here. No, they're not. What wherever they're groundbreaking. Wherever actually? they're from, it's not here. I think they're English. But um, I always mix them up with that. I believe in a thing called Love Band. That's the darkness. They are also, I believe, are they from here? Or are they English? English. I think yeah. Anyway. So Darkness was here on their first tour, and... Dragon Force is from London. Wait, you just said the Darkness is here on their first tour. What band Dragon, are we talking about? Dragon Force is who we're talking about. Through the, fire, through the Fire and the Flames. The Guitar Hero Band. Anyway, they're here on their first tour at Trocadero, and we go down there. Band that opened for them <laughs> played, like, second wave Metallica, like, load, reload era, like, butt Rocky Metallica style yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And the Dragon Force fans all turned their back on them and raised both their middle fingers for the entire set. What? All That's crazy. 30, all 35 minutes of it, dudes with, like, Hesher hair and vests 
with their backs to this local Philadelphia band oh. with their with their middle fingers in the air. And it was like the most disheartening, grossest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I thought house shows with science fair in Philadelphia was bad. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. Throwback. <laughs> Throwback. That's... They were bad. They were worse than that. There are quite a few bands that are big now that I saw in Kendall's house, like the front Ugh. bottoms. I saw I saw them sit on his washing machine and play. That dude sucked. Yeah, so did a science fair project. That band sucked. <laughs> I put weird. a I put a split with that fucking band. Did you? Yeah. I told her did? No, Captain the Compliments did. No, how did I not know about that? Did, did that is Dan like the first yeah, Dan put it that was Cat Cat Records first release. Oh. Holy shit, I didn't know it that. It was Science Fair and Captain the Compliments, the split. A tape or it was a tape. Okay. Just a tape. Not not a not an LP. We uh Captain of Compliments and Trunks played together first at Paul Blessed House, right? Was that our first gig together? Probably. I, I think remember I knew, I knew you I, bef- re- I knew you before that. I remember going to um what's it called in in Anville. Was it Chicken Coop? The Chicken Coop. We just were going rolled- there. We just rolled past the 11 year anniversary of the last show there. Whoa. 11 years since. Damn. Yeah. April so, of 2009 was Flew the Coop Fest because we were damn. moving. <laughs> I went I went there with a friend that I went to Messiah College with and I was still in Captain. Yeah, and I knew I knew Paul. I knew Paul since I don't know how I met Paul. Paul was really good at like making you think you knew him forever. Yeah, I I recorded I recorded a, for some reason we recorded in Delaware for our EP when I was in Captain Compliment in probably 2006, okay. and I think that's how I met him when I was in Wilmington. I think he like showed up or something, and I saw him there, and he was there. I but yeah, I don't know how I ever met that guy because we played. I remember. Captain it was, with it was, Trunks oh, yeah. in his basement. Yeah, and I knew him before Placeholder, and I always knew that Placeholder, like... Uh, Placeholder always bothered everyone that we ever played shows with. Like, it was like... You, you were never, like, friends with us. It was like... It was me, Marco, and whoever's in our band arguing with one another. <laughs> and then just people around us. Like, no one was ever, like... I love these guys because we were like never friends with anyone. We were just well, like you had a very uh, I don't know the word for it. A, a bra- abrasive. Standoffish. No. Standoffish. No. I'm just saying. I'm saying in the ter- in the terms of Paul, like Paul, I should have never known or been friends with Paul. I don't honestly know ever the time that I met that guy. I yeah. don't know either, but I know I met him because I know him. <laughs> so, yeah. You guys, uh, there's a lot to touch on this conversation. You guys were really, <laughs> good. you guys were really good at being your own band without needing the community part of of punk right from the beginning. And I'm not yeah. saying you didn't contribute to it because you absolutely contributed to it. But there was like a sense that if the punk scene lived or died, placeholder would live no matter what. Like, oh yeah, no, it's totally. That, we like we like didn't 
I don't know if it's good or bad, but we just like did not give a fuck if I, anyone I, like if anyone talked to us. Like we we go to a show and get fucked up and then leave. We play yeah. it and then go. At the beginning of Reservoir, I gave way too many fucks. Yeah, like, you did. Jesus too, Christ. Too too many for everyone. I hung out and watched every single band. I met everybody in every band. And then like maybe Probably three quarters. Insane. Maybe three quarters. Shut up. Maybe it three did. quarters it of the really way. Did. Well, I'm sorry. Why do you say something? Because then, like, three quarters. You're so nice. Yeah. Just thanks. But then three quarters of the way through, something clicked where I was like. You know, I shouldn't have been yelling at these guys for sitting in the van because that's better than whatever I was doing. It it, it helped us in a sense that public perception, as we said earlier, public perception is much better. So at least we had the middle ground. We had a Justin. You guys didn't really have a Justin. You know what I mean? Like, you guys were a bunch of, like, a Josh, like a band of Joshes that, like, just didn't give a shit. Except Josh, gave except, except we yeah. had me. Except we had me who booked all the shows, and then I would like book other shows for other bands. Right. Yeah. That was I'm the a, only. That was the only plus side that placeholder ever had. That's the only reason we ever got cool shows. The only reason we ever got to go on tour with other bands was because I'm not saying oh I was the only one that did anything because that's not true, but like that aspect of it was I was not friendly to anyone. But I definitely did people favors. Oh, Steven did that at Skid Row, too. Yeah, Steven, so, so it Steven helps. did that at Skid Row. Yeah, like that, when you have your own spot to book, when you have your own room to do, like you can kind of be, I don't know, not shitty, but anyway, I, I, I'm not like, yeah, I'm not criticizing it one way or the other, but I will say this. I, for a while, was very concerned and i cared so much about what these people thought of me and then eventually thank god i was just like yeah they're just they're losers like you and i so here's like they're all they're all they're all just dudes living in their own hometown like being kind of pathetic and they're in bands i was being positive about it because i wish i had realized it earlier on that like I pushed so hard for us to be a part of a thing that I thought was bigger and more important when we should have just been pushing to be our thing regardless. Totally. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then by it, the time we were doing our thing regardless, we were too tired of doing other anything. things instead, and then we gave up. But I think that our biggest issue was you and I both, Justin, put like a lot of effort into booking and booking shows and stuff, but it was based off me touring for years in a hardcore band and you touring for years in a folk band and then trying to use those contacts to play emo shows <laughs> emo shows and it never really like we'd be playing to like folk punk kids who thought we were fucking lame as shit and tried too hard then we'd be playing to hardcore kids who thought we sounded like title fight <laughs> oh god that first that first tour so many people have been like you're from pennsylvania do you guys know title fight like shut the fuck up like stop <laughs> knock it off yeah i like title fight but yeah, yeah. you were yeah but oh, you guys great, were great you, you were like anti that you could have leaned into it yeah we didn't well we weren't trying to sound like title fight i don't think we did sound like title fight i feel like you guys would have been offended if if someone said that though we were because people said it all of the time. We like, said to us too. 
If you had a reverb, Pelly, you sound like Title Fight. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, it, like, yeah, we played similar music. If someone said, like, oh, you sound like Title Fight, do you know those guys are from Pennsylvania? Be like, yeah, good friends. Buy our merch. <laughs> we love those guys. Yeah, we're from Kingston, too. Here, here's this T-shirt. It has it has the fucking sheep on it. <laughs> well, our shirts have raindrops. <laughs> the first couple t-shirt designs were a little misguided. I like the raindrops. We always had terrible merch. Yeah, but terrible merch sells. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's like that's like a thing that I'm just I still am like baffled by. Like Marco and I were like texting a couple of nights ago. And I was sending him pictures of, like, all the old placeholder merch because I was, like, going through my fucking saved photos or whatever. All these fucking shirts, dude, they were so bad. Like, what? Why, <laughs> did, we quite... print, why did we print these? <laughs> Why'd you have me print those in my kitchen? <laughs> it, was the have... same, it was the same night that I posted that legalize or die. Yeah. I remember. Like, what, 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 were, what were we doing at that Steven, time? That, that was, like that was cool. Stephen. <laughs> so I have one um, topic that I wanted to cover. Oh, yeah, go ahead. And it's not music related. It's not goofy either. You know, it's just an interesting topic. But I'm curious to what the closest both of you have ever been to death is that you can remember. Hmm. It, it would almost certainly have to be automobile accident related. Okay. I, I've been in, I've been in like two car accidents and one time, <laughs> see this sound really stupid. It was raining really, really hard when I was coming home from college one time. And there's a hill before my parents' house that like you crest it and then have to come back down. And it, near the top of the hill, I had to sneeze really, really bad. And I sneezed and closed my eyes, and it was raining really bad. And when I opened them back up, I was in the wrong lane, and there was a tractor trailer, and I had to swerve out from under it. Yeah. Oh shit. That's so, scary. That might that might be it. Okay. Yeah, I I mine's automobile as well. I had an experience. I I had just bought an Acura Integra when I graduated high school, and we went to the beach my girlfriend and I, and I was turning left and a car hit me on like the right back side of my car and it ended up like flipping into the field. Ugh. And, you know, luckily I was wearing a seatbelt, obviously. Right. But lame. I know, pretty <laughs> lame. I shouldn't have been doing it. I should have died in that field. <laughs> Yeah, I, think a lot about, points. I think a lot about that. Um, <laughs> but but, but I died on that field. Um, but yeah, no, that was that was I think that was the closest to death I've ever been. Huh. Right. That, you ever like wake up? Does anyone else ever like wake up like gasping for air? Yeah, it's called mm-hmm. sleep apnea. But like after a dream though. Oh, not sleep oh, yeah. apnea. <laughs> yeah, what, like you wake up, you yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. Sure. Do you? 
I've seen. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's either the dream or the sleep apnea. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's sleep apnea, but maybe it is. But like, some, well, like I do, but I don't couple, do it. Couple, I, couple nights ago, I had a terrible, terrifying dream. Like one of the like, I don't really remember dreams too often. But anyway, I had this dream like a couple nights ago. Terrifying. It just unsettled me so much, and I woke up like. In a sweat, gasping for air. Hmm. Never hmm. happened to me ever before. I don't yeah, know if that's like, am, am I getting older and I'm dying, or is that like maybe? Just, maybe. maybe it is. Stephen, I have another answer too. When I was in eighth grade, my um, my brother and I were playing golf in the front yard of my parents' house, oh. and and uh, I bent down to pick up my golf ball, and he didn't tell me he was swinging at his. And it hit me in the mouth, and I needed, I think, ten stitches in my lip. And the Shit. dentist, and the dentist told me that like I may need a root canal ten years later. But here we are, ten years after. So fuck him. Um, survived it. Survived the root, the potential root canal. But the doctor did say if it had been like five inches higher in my temple, I would have died. So yeah. the re- so like the answer to your question, how close I was to death, Stephen, is about five inches. About size of oh, my shit. never mind. Um, <laughs> you guys want to hear this other dream that I had that's not quite as scary? Can yeah. I tell it? Yeah. Okay, so anyway. <laughs> I I told this to my wife and she was like, You need to stop drinking. <laughs> so this is this is this is my dream. So anyway, I went to bed and I don't remember going to bed. I just remember this dream i looked at my foot and there was like a metal piece in the heel of my foot and i picked at it and it 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 felt like hours that i was picking at this metal and finally i got to like the point where i could peel the metal out of my heel and the metal was a beer cap (laughs) (laughs) and then i Pull that off, and I pulled another one off, and then for the next, like, seemingly endless time, I was pulling beer caps out of my heel. (laughs) And I woke up terrified. I woke my wife up and said I was pulling beer caps out of my heel. And my wife said, stop fucking drinking beer, (laughs) you piece of shit. (laughs) <laughs> wow! Holy cow! Holy cow. That. That's my that, that's my getting sober story. <laughs> Twenty-one days. So, 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 so Stephen, what's the closest you've been to death? Oh, I got my foot stuck in an inner tube in a pool once, and I was like underwater, and like I couldn't like get out. It was like one of those big ass bulky like black you know like fucking heavy ass inner tubes mm-hmm. i was at my uncle's house so it was a smaller pool and i just couldn't get out i was like underwater to the point where like my vision kind of went black and oh, uh, shit. Oh. i thought your whole answer was gonna be i got my foot stuck once <laughs> well it kind of is if you shorten it <laughs> water water terrifies me and it's not great drowning is like that seems like a pretty awful way to you know it does yeah we went on this um, this camping trip last uh, last July up on uh, the Anirondacks, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we went with uh, Missy's uh, friends. They have a, you know, a toddler. And we all got on like this lake. And I got wasted. And I was doing, you know, stupid mm-hmm. shit on this like kayak. Should have been doing it. Flipped over. And I couldn't flip back over. And I was like stuck in this kayak. That's it's terrifying. Hard. It's, hard know, to, it's hard it's, to flip a kayak, Brandon. Like it's hard it, to flip a kayak. It is really, I was told that actually after I, after <laughs> I almost died and swam <laughs> to the shore. But like, so my, my wife's like friends had like, you know, they're like toddler in their like canoe. And I heard this kid crying as I was like underwater. Because he was like, oh, he's dying. He said, that's what he said. He's dying. He's dying. And then I got from out underneath it and grabbed up onto their canoe. And I just, like, saw this, like, poor child, like, screaming. Jesus. I felt like, I felt like Jason, like, coming out of <laughs> Crystal Lake. My son it's not, grabbed- it's not. It's not actually that hard to flip a kayak, Justin. Yeah, we do it all the time, right? I think. I think you have. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I'm on Team Steven on this one. We yeah, still have kayaks, bro. I so, so I don't think it's hard. It's not like the hardest thing in the world to do, but you either have to be fucking around real hard or try real hard. Like I'm I'm actually like kind of a fucking stunt enthusiast. Yeah. So that's what I was that's what I was doing. I was trying I to do tricks. Over here. I was doing tricks. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a kayak trick guy, dude. Trying to do a, a ramp. <laughs> Trying to do a full, a full barrel roll and you missed it. Jesus. Like a World War II pilot doing a barrel roll. All right, so that'll do it for this week's episode of Two Beats Off Podcast. Join us next week with Nuno from A Wilhelm Scream. Bye. Bye.